This week on Talking Back, unfortunately, nobody can be told what the Matrix is. You have to see it for yourself. Or just listen to this podcast. Talking Back. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Talking Back podcast where we talk about past achievements in movies, comics, video games, and more. I'm your host, Tim, and with me as usual is part-time co-host, Dean. Dean, how are you doing? I'm doing great today. That's excellent. I'm doing great as well. I didn't even ask you. Oh, sorry. I didn't want your opinion. <clears throat> sorry, I'll, I'll stay in my place then. Dean, why are you doing excellent? Uh, because we are going to talk about a uh, great movie today. We are stoked. For this movie. We're so pumped. We're pumped. Our levels We're are jacked. High. Yeah. The adrenaline is flowing. Oh, yeah. I had to do a bit of physical labor before this and fix the studio door. So I'm amped up. Well, sweaty. I, I showed up and you're doing construction on the studio and, and I didn't know what was going on. Small problems with the studio, but it's all remedied. We're good to go. So, you know, I always rush into it. But is there anything you want to say? No, let's get into it. You want to get right into it? I okay. want to get into it. I want let's, to get into this movie now. Let's do it then. Let's get right into it. So people probably know from the title on the podcast that it's The Matrix this week. Woo! Woo-hoo! 20th anniversary. That's right. Yeah. 1999. That's right. So The Matrix, sci-fi action movie released March 31st, 1999. Budget, $63 million for production. Yeah. 30 million additional for marketing. Wow. 30 million. Wow. And like, half of the movie budget in addition goes to marketing. That's insane. It is. And there were, I think the marketing, I mean, we might get into it when we talk about uh, our experience with the movie when it came out. I didn't have a lot of experience with the movie when it came out. But going back and watching some of the old trailers, uh, it's a good marketing campaign. Yeah, I don't like, really remember it. It was very, it was... Uh, it was very mystical. It was kind of like you didn't really know what was going. They showed some like fast clips of the action, but you like just don't know what's going on. Yeah, this is the type of movie where you're even if they showed you important things from the movie, you're not going to understand what's going know. on. You'd have no idea going in. And yeah. that's what I loved about it. You would have no idea watching those previews, like what it was going to be. Right. So the movie does <clears throat> exceptionally well at the box office and grosses $463 million worldwide. Amazing. ching Amazing. Good enough for fifth that year. Ooh. Because it was a packed year. Okay, ouch. Five. Yeah. Mm. Well, it opens to 2,849 <clears throat> theaters and is number one in its opening weekend. So that's kind of... I don't know what that is for that time, that number of theaters, but for nowadays, that's kind of in the middle. That's like mm -hmm. middle to low for openings. Normally, you're right. doing about 4,500 now, so... Don't know for 20 years ago. That That's probably a pretty high number for 20 years ago. And for an R-rated sci-fi movie. Right. I think that's pretty high. Yeah. So The Matrix, nominated for, for four Academy Awards, wins all four. Excellent. Uh, best editing, best visual effects, best sound, best sound editing. So it's all on the technical side. Yeah. That they score. And perhaps, like, perhaps nowadays it might get a Best Picture nomination. Yeah, I could Back see that. Back then, didn't really happen. But, yeah. you know, now you have things like Mad Max. Yeah. Which get those nominations. Yeah, that's a good point. 
So the Wachowskis, Lana and Lily, born Lawrence and Andrew, directors on this movie, they started their career in 1993 as writers on a Clive Barker comic series, Ecto Kid. Mm-hmm. Do you know about this series? I know about the series. I mean, I've never read it. I, I didn't know about it, and I also haven't read it. Mm, that's about all I have for that. <laughs> cool. So in 1994, the Wachowskis present a script for the movie Assassins to Warner Brothers. Do you remember that movie? I do. Antonio Banderas, Sylvester Stallone. I do. Not bad. No. It wasn't bad. Uh, not, not their uh, view of it, though. No, well, yeah, they, they, Warner Brothers purchases the rights for that script along with two other scripts to come, to be determined. Uh, after the Wachowskis' script for Assassins is completely butchered by other writers, they request unsuccessfully that they not be credited on the film. So whatever story came out of that was not what they wanted. I'd be curious to see what they wanted. For sure, yeah, um could be really good yeah lana actually said after she saw the movie um she claimed it as uh their abortion oh wow yeah okay very unhappy with what what came out and unhappy with sort of that being their first movie that they wrote unhappy with the process of making a movie right so because of that what they learned in the process of being a writer they decide that they should be directors instead of writers. Of course. Right? That's great, they get great, more control. Great idea. Yeah. yeah. If it's not working, then cha- change it up. For so, sure. 1996, they write and direct their second movie of the three, a movie called Bound, which is very well received. Now, from the success of Bound, they ask to be the directors also on the third movie, which is The Matrix, and they're allowed to do so. So the Wachowski's original plan for The Matrix is to have Will Smith in the leading role as Neo and Val Kilmer supporting as Morpheus. Yes, I did know this. I can kind of see it. It's a a little movie. bit, a little bit. I I can see Val Kilmer actually more than Will Smith. I think Kilmer could do a pretty good job. Kilmer could do a good job if he follows what they tell him to do. Yeah. Yeah. So uh-huh. they they had, I don't know if you have this, but they had a meeting with Kilmer because Kilmer's what the studio wanted. Yeah. So they had a meeting with Kilmer and they said within the first couple minutes, he was just trying to convince them why Morpheus is the hero of the movie. Okay. And he why Morpheus is the main character of the movie. And they just said, okay, well, we don't like changing anything that we've written. Yeah. We're out on Kilmer. That's a bad start. Yeah. We'll just kind of come in and start barking <laughs> here, orders. Here, here's why I should be the star of the movie, yeah, like, right? I get it, you're Val, Kil- Val Kilmer, but also, like, you're just Val Kilmer. Yeah. You know? <laughs> uh, anyways, Will Smith doesn't understand the script and turns it down. So. Yeah, he has... Uh, said recently actually so this was like a rumor for a while but recently he has said that yes this is 100 percent true this is what happened uh he was saying the the conversation sort of went um wachowskis are saying things like imagine if you were in an action scene and you jumped but you stayed in the air and then the cameras swing around and he just didn't understand any of this right. um and could not picture the movie so that's no knock to will smith i really like him for sure i might have been the same way just like i don't really understand what you guys are talking about so for sure you know and and will smith was probably at the point where he can pick and choose what he wants right he's probably a 20 million dollar man back back then already yeah and uh, i think uh, a very different movie if will smith is in it yes uh, i think a much. better movie that he isn't yeah i love will smith agreed i think he's like he's one of my favorite actors but this movie requires um, sort of not the guy you'd expect to be in that role. Yeah. Right? It sort of requires someone who you wouldn't look at and say, yeah, he's the hero. 
Yeah. He's definitely the hero of this movie. Yeah, we you don't kind of need other people to shine a bit more. Yeah, we don't want a big blockbuster star as your leading role here. It would, it would feel different. So, at the same time that that's happening, they're trying to get their actors on board. Warner Brothers is having trouble swallowing the fact that this movie is going to cost them $60 million. So, in order to calm the studio, the Wachowskis hire comic book artists to storyboard the entire film, shot for shot. And it ends up being 600 pages. Yeah. And then upon seeing that and going through it, the studio approves. So, that's kind of cool. That's really cool that they... So, they have this meeting and they storyboard the 600 and... uh I read in uh, a book that I've actually brought along. It's called Best Movie Year Ever um, by Brian Raftery. There's a whole chapter on The Matrix. Is the best movie movie year 1999? Is that what this guy's saying? According to this book, okay. yeah. Okay. Well, you're saying The Matrix got fifth overall that year, so... Yeah. Ooh, we may have to dabble into what some of those other movies are. I can run down the top ten for you right off the top of my head. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Okay, go ahead. Okay, so you got number one, Phantom Menace, right? Huge summer for Phantom Menace Star Wars coming back. Uh, number two, The Sixth Sense. Yep. Twisty movie coming out of nowhere. This movie hit like 30 million at the box office for like five weeks in a row. Like just kept crushing, kept crushing. Uh, number three, Toy Story 2. Number four, Ahead of the Matrix, Austin Powers, The Spy Who Shagged Me. Yeah, a movie, see it. A movie People that... People loved it. Yeah, in its first weekend, outgrosses the whole first movie. Wow. In one weekend. Uh, so then five, you have The Matrix, six is Tarzan, seven is Big Daddy, eight is The Mummy, nine is Runaway Bride, ten is Blair Witch Project. Wow, good job. Now give us 11 through 30. Don't know those. Just kidding. Don't know those. Okay. That's that's a big year. So yeah, so what I was saying was in this book, in this uh, best movie year ever, they mentioned that in this meeting with the 600 storyboards, the uh, sort of their producer that's on it, he's like, it was a really weird meeting. One, uh, you know, one of the Wachowskis is, um, showing, like telling the story and showing the storyboards and the other one's making sound effects. Oh, weird. he's like, it was really weird, but it really worked. Yeah. Yeah. It really got everyone on board. That's cool. Yeah. So before being allowed to open a script, the actors are required to be able to explain the matrix. So the Wachowskis have the actors read several books to help them understand the different philosophies going on. So just here's a couple examples of what some of the stuff they had to learn was. So in one of the books, this is so, it's so strange and it's even hard to understand after it's simplified. But in one of the books, they're learning about the significance of culture and media and how those symbols and signs are creating a simulated reality for us right now because we're being influenced by everything media and culture throws at us. Right? And if media and culture didn't exist, we would be living in a different type of reality. So that is like a construct that we're stuck in, and that's dictating our reality. And, and to sort of like understand that a bit more, you can see that right now. Because in, in, our, in our age, we used to live in a time where a phone was like a phone that you made a call on. Now we have a smartphone and we have a computer in our hand. Like the way that technology has changed, our realities are different. A phone, it no longer means what a phone meant. A, f a phone is probably the last thing you use your cell phone for nowadays. Is to make a call. Is to actually call anything. Which is what a phone was. Like our reality has changed yeah. because of technology. Mm -hmm. So in another book, they learn about how as we shape technology, it in turn shapes us. And as we make technology more complex, 
uh, to manage them. We have to make them more biological. Mm. Okay. I'm not really sure what all that means. I think it's the idea that technology can get so far, but if we add biology into it, it becomes more like us. Interesting. Therefore, solving more of the problems we need to be solved right. uh, in an easier way, I guess. Right. Then they also learn about psychoanalysis, which is a set of theories and therapeutic techniques related to the study of the unconscious mind. So I remember seeing interviews with this with the cast back in the day, and yeah. I was just like, what are they talking about? Like, totally. This doesn't make any sense. You know, like, tell us what the movie's about. And I'm expecting, well, you know, um, you know, this guy goes off and uh, the bad guy does this and he does this and then he kicks him in the face. And then, but they're just like, they get all philosophical and they lose totally. me. They yeah. lose me in it. And it's, and it's going right back to that, uh, Wachowski's wanting to have control over their movie. Yeah. They need their actors to understand what they're trying to say. And they want their actors to physically do what they need to do. Yeah. And physically, physically do they all, the cast had to spend about four months learning Kung Fu and a couple of the, the people actually got seriously injured. Um, that's about all I'm going to do for our background. Now we're going to do this one a little bit different because. How do you talk about the majors? Yeah. We were struggling to, to think how we're going to go about this. So what we decided the best thing to do would to be break out five categories, write them down on paper, put them in my hat. We're going to shake up the hat. We're going to pull a category and that's what we're going to talk about for hopefully no more than about 20 minutes each. Right? Right. Some of the categories might be longer, some might be shorter, but yeah. hopefully we don't uh, crest 20 we, minutes. We don't want to We don't want to release a four-part or anything like that. Tim's shutting off the recording before it hits two hours. I'm going to try to contain so, Dean here. Yeah. Dean, you'll probably pull this first category and we'll be stuck on it for an hour. Pro- we might not get past yeah. a category. Yeah. That's right. Hey, so our categories are philosophy, characters, the world, so like the matrix and then the real world in the movie the technology behind the movie and then the story itself. So some of these categories might end up crossing over, but whatever, this is how we're doing it. This is how we want to talk about it. That's how we're going to do it. And you know what? This is our podcast. So we get to choose what we're doing, right? It's true, right? It is very true. Okay. So if you want to give us some money, then maybe you can choose what we do next. But right now we choose. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I'm done with that. Okay. So is there anything else you wanted to say before we get into the picking of the hat? Um, no, I think it's good to go. I'm ready to go. I just want to pick that, that first category. See what it is. Okay. I'm excited. Okay. What a sound. You want to do the honors? I do. I do. What do we got? Characters. Good place to start. I think all the categories would be good places to start, but anyways. <laughs> yeah, that's just my go-to line yeah. for whatever I Yeah, picked. whatever, exactly. Whatever you picked. <laughs> Here we go. Oh, and you know what's your, the next one's going to be? Oh, that's a great that's second good. one to choose. <laughs> yeah. Great. Yeah. So, um... Do you, what do you want to do? Do you want to go? Do you want to talk about some characters? Uh, yeah, sure. I uh, I think characters is a good place to start because okay. I think I think all the characters in this movie are uh, they're pretty unique characters. I think when we talk about the characters, we're going to talk about the actors as well because we can do that. I think it's also like they're kind of perfectly fit in this movie. So you're talking about the casting? The casting as well. Yeah. But so if we start, let's start with characters. Let's start with the beginning of the movie. That's where I'd like to start. Okay. Because it starts off so incredibly well. I remember when I saw this, I saw this in 99. Um, I saw it in the summertime though. 
me and a few buddies went on a long road trip down to Arizona and we went out one night and watched this in the theater. And I remember that first scene with Trinity. I mean, when that scene was done, I was looking at my buddies and we were all in. You don't even we know what you just in. watched. No, it's, it's one of the most incredible action sequences you've ever seen in a movie yeah. up to that point. And also, you don't even know how they did it or like what is going on because the technology in it is, it's cutting edge and it's just visually so stunning. You don't know what you just watched. Yeah. Uh, there's so much, so much good there. So Trinity kind of gets caught by the police and the agents and she's yeah. kind of stuck in a room. So the police, you see the police going in, then the agents show up outside. And I love this conversation. It's so just good. the police are like, oh, don't worry. We got this handled, right? And Agent Smith says, no, you know, we told you not to go in for your safety, right? Yeah. He's like, oh, no, I put two squads on it. Yeah. The guy's like, uh, no, your your men are already dead. Yeah. And then you, so, so then I start thinking, what the hell? And then Trinity like kicks the shit out of the two squad cops there. It's so good. It's so good to start because we hear her voice too as well to start having a conversation about a line being tapped. Yeah. And then, like you said, they come to the room. And we're, honestly, we don't even know if it's a woman yet. It's just this person in leather with short hair sitting at a desk. And we just yeah. see the back, right? And it's just like, oh, this person's in trouble. Yeah, dark room. Yeah, dark room. lit by one computer, nothing in this, it, a table, a chair, her exactly. computer. This person's busted. Yeah. Cut to the street. The FBI F or FBI whatever. Like agent, agents. Yeah. yeah, come in and say, your men are already dead. We get jacked, right? We get pumped yeah, and yeah. then they cut back to the room and we see what happens i love and that he says violent. it I, oh it, it is. is violent i love she it that he says it before we get back to that room. right and we know oh something's going down yeah and then we see like the action we've never seen before yeah violent action and like you said she just destroys them all but then has to go on the run yeah because one of these fbi agents has shown up yeah into that room yeah and then she goes running trying to get somewhere we don't really know an exit. We're told an exit. Right. And then we see her running towards a telephone booth. And then there's a big dump truck that has the same idea to run for this booth. Yeah. yeah. And she runs into it, picks up the phone while this dump truck smashes right simultaneously through. right through it. So then right there, I'm thinking, oh, that character got killed. Yeah. That kind of sucks. Yeah. We're going to find out more about who that character was. Right. Or we're going to flash back and yeah. see how we got to this point. Right. And that's kind of the intro. Yeah. And I feel like... But he gets out of the dump truck and he says, she got out. It's the agent. Yeah. And we're just like, uh, what does that mean? What does she got out mean? Yeah. I feel like we're doing more story talk than character talk <laughs> here already. Right. But, yeah. but this is still... Yeah. Okay. But so Trinity, Trinity... So Trinity... Kick ass. Her, her, her role in this movie is that she will essentially fall in love with the one, right? The one um, that the prophecy speaks about who will bring, you know, balance in the matrix. And she's looking, she's helping Morpheus look for this person, right? Like she's tra helping track down in the matrix. So uh, interesting story where as Neo joins the team and comes aboard, she doesn't necessarily, she's not in love with him right away right yeah and she, so her, her story go ahead just from her perspective being told from you know uh the wise one the oracle who's you know just is supposed to lead you on the right path being told that you're going to fall in love with the one and then being on the same ship as someone who's been told they will find the one every time 
he would think that he found the one. You're thinking, well, I guess I I've got to figure out if I'm in love with this one, right. this this person, right? So I like I like through the movie how small things happen that get her more and more on the path that yes, she is falling in love with him, and then ultimately is in love with him. Yeah. Let's move on to another character, okay. just because we're probably only going to be able to do a couple minutes on each character here. Yeah, and we just dove into story right away. Yeah. So you know what? Just so I can get through the characters I want to get through, okay. let's start talking about our favorite characters. Okay. Okay? Yeah. So I want to go with my favorite character in this movie is Agent Smith. That's what I was thinking. Yeah? Yeah. He is... I love him. He's so damn cool. And his, he's very interesting. He's extremely interesting. Yeah. I think he's... He's, for me, he's more interesting than Neo. He's the most in- interesting character in this movie, for me. And as the, in this movie, yes, for sure. And as the series goes on, it even solidifies oh, yeah, it that. it even goes further. Yeah. But we need to look at this as an individual movie. For sure, yeah. And that the other ones hadn't come yet, or at least we'll try to. He talks to me like a program would talk. Totally. And if you can picture him in this movie as a program, his character just i feel like it's unfolded so much better if you can have that in your mind that this is a program definitely a yeah. sentient program but a program he's just he's slow and methodical as the machines are as well right like the machines yeah. are very specific totally precise yeah and that's the way that he is as this program and you can see he's sort of like very you know physically disappointed when things don't go the way he planned you know you can just kind of see it on his face even though he's not really giving you an expression he you can just kind of tell that yeah. he's disappointed in what happened that's right i don't know how he's doing it like yeah. i don't know how he's it, pulling that off it's by but... not saying things yeah it's by not saying anything yeah right you know sometimes silence is more powerful and re- like a really interesting point and maybe i'm jumping ahead is when he unplugs himself exactly it's very that's where he gets interesting that's where he gets to be a really interesting character because it's a program that is supposed to follow the rules of the world right and he unhooks himself so he can say something off the record right so that no one can hear him right and what he's doing off the record is he's appealing to morpheus's humanity in that moment yeah which is so interesting and he this is near the end of the movie but agent smith has had enough of the matrix yeah he he hates it he he says things like uh he hates the he hates the place it's a zoo it's a prison um the smell just everything about it he he feels like the humans are a virus in the matrix yeah and they're um like poisoning it yeah and his only way to get out of the matrix is to complete his mission. his mission and his mission is to destroy zion right which is like the city of real people right. that's where the the last people live yeah um so he's torturing morpheus to get the to codes get the code to, to get into zion and if no. he can get that he can succeed and then there will be no more use for him right because that's can... the only reason he's there right they don't need him if everybody's plugged in so do you know what these codes are for Zion? Is it like the codes to the mainframe or something? I didn't understand. I didn't really understand if it's like, okay, we have the codes so we can lift up their defenses and attack. That's what I think Or if it it's a, if they can get the codes, then they can like wipe out their computer system and they'd be defenseless. I didn't really understand. I don't know if so you picked either, up on anything. Yeah. So either of those sounds good to me. What I was thinking when I was watching it is definitely, I thought like their defenses, like 
they'd have the codes to sort of unlock all the doors, go in and kill everybody. Yeah. But what you said is interesting because they're going to, if they have some sort of machines or systems online to help them live, to yeah. make, you know, water and food right. and whatever, if they shut those down, they're done. I wonder if that's maybe what they're that doing. That might be what, what it is, yeah. So, yeah. Love Agent Smith. He's great. Agent Smith is great. So is Agent Smith your favorite character too, would you say? if And if it's not, then let's hear your favorite character and why. You know, Agent Smith is definitely up there. He's top. I mean, like the top four are always just interchangeable kind of for me. Yeah. Um, this this watch through Agent Smith was definitely the most fascinating to me. Okay. Um, you know, Trinity's sort of, I think Trinity's like the most kick-ass character. Um, Mr. Anderson. You can work on that. You can work on that. I had to throw that in. It's pretty good. I'm sorry. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, Morpheus. I, I think Morpheus is unbelievable in this movie as well. Yeah. Okay. Did you want to talk specifically about any of them? Or if you don't, that's okay. So we, well, we just, we, we did Trinity. We did, uh, Agent Smith. So let's, I mean, let's go to Neo. Just because that's like the the protagonist of the movie, sure. The the one you know the the savior, yeah. Because um, I think his character, I think his character arc is very interesting. I think, yeah, I I, I would. Agree. I'm just gonna interject for a second. I would agree. I think his arc is the most interesting. Yeah. While I like Agent Smith as the best character, Neo has the best arc. Yeah. I like. Yeah, exactly. Where I like I like Morpheus because of his like gravitas and like yeah. how cool he is yeah, he's so I think, confident yeah i think his his arc isn't definitely isn't as good as neo's arc right in the movie right um so neo is like there's just so much to talk about him right like i don't even know where to start or where mm-hmm. to go but one of the main things that i really like in this movie about the neo character is that he's been he's been told by a group of people who sort of showed him what the world is like opened up his eyes to what he was thinking about his whole life that group of people tell him that he's the one to save them. Right. How is he supposed to handle this and how is he supposed to take it? And he's a guy who is not, he's not the type of guy who's like, okay, yeah, I'm the savior. Let's go. Let's do it. He's unsure. He's unsure if he can be the savior of these people. Of course, as anybody would be. As anyone would be. But what's really interesting to me is that he's very sure of his own abilities. Yes. He's very sure. Maybe it's because he's a hacker. Yeah. And he's like really confident in his abilities. I think so. But there are times in this movie where he, because he goes to the Oracle and she says he is not the one, he then says he believes that he can get Morpheus out. Why? Yeah. What mm-hmm. have we seen from him so far? Nothing. Right. We've seen him do nothing in the Matrix. He can't even make the jump yet. Yeah. He can't do anything. And he says, I believe I can bring him back. He's very confident in his own ability yeah. abilities. And even when like, there's a scene where like a helicopter is going down and he wraps his arms around the helicopter. He doesn't know that that's only going to be Trinity. He has to lift up. He's thinking in that moment, I'm catching this helicopter. Yeah. As are we. Yeah. He's so confident in his abilities. And I find that like, like just very interesting that he is not the one to believe, you know, he's not going to believe that he's the one, but he's very confident himself. Yeah. You mentioned hackers. This this rewatch that I had for this podcast, the first time that it really clicked, now I, I knew this, but it didn't really click that they're all a group of hackers, it, which makes sense because you would want hackers in the matrix to be able to manipulate it because it's code, right? For sure. This is the first time it actually clicked for me why they're hackers. I didn't, 
same thing. I've watched this movie so many times, and this rewatch was the one where I realized they are all hackers. They're all hackers. And that makes sense. And notorious notorious hackers. Yes, and they would understand a computer system to be able to do this, to be able to write their own programs, their training, their loading programs. Like, they would be able to do all this stuff. It makes total sense. And I, I was the same. I didn't get it until that. Yeah, so we're running a bit long here. I just want to get to one more character. It's because... This was a throwaway character for me every other watch until this one. Okay. And then for some reason, this one, I just love this character. Okay. And it is Cypher. Okay. He's the one you don't really like because he's kind of a, he's kind of a villain. He's the one who is trying to get back from the real world back into the Matrix. And he's willing to give up Morpheus or Trinity or Neo to do it. It's a combination of the acting. The acting is so strong he kind of shows his cards early as well when neo he's talking to neo and he says oh i know what you're thinking neo why oh why didn't i take the blue pill totally he's saying it jokingly but that is that's part of his character he he actually believes that right and he he is us because he's like he's like the the choice between whether you know a harsh reality and you want to live in it or whether you would rather just not know anything and live a happy life. Yeah. And it's like when you see what they have to live in and the goop they have to eat and like ha- all the holes that are in their body and all the th- all the clothes they have to wear, you're like, the Matrix didn't seem that bad, did it? Like, yeah, yeah you had an office job, but yeah. it didn't seem that bad. I get it. I get where Cypher's coming from. And this is why. is because in the real world... He works for Morpheus, right? Morpheus is his level of control. He can't escape that. Just as you can't escape the Matrix. He doesn't have the ability to do anything except what he's like currently doing and what his task is. Everything Morpheus says, Cypher has to do it, right? Cypher, do this. And that's what he says. Do that, yeah. right? In the Matrix... He would actually have free choice. He doesn't, yeah. He it doesn't would, know about seem. the control. It seems like he has the choice. So, yeah. like, I get it. Totally. I, I was a little bit sympathetic to him this time. Definitely. Because I can, I can see it. Because Yeah. And I think this is not, like, maybe specifically said in the movie. But I think also he might know about Trinity's um, prophecy that she's supposed to fall in love. I think he knows one. that, yeah. And I think he wanted to be the one. Like, I think he okay. thought... Because I think he, like, loves Trinity. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of get that. So, vibe. I think... Maybe he thought, oh, if she falls in love with me, maybe I'm actually the one. Right. And he, so he wants Neo to fail at every step. And yeah. I think he's at maybe at that point when Neo comes in, he's at the point where he's like, well, I'm not, I don't think I'm the one. Yeah. I, just, I can't handle this anymore. Like, I, exactly. I don't want to be under Morpheus taking his commands. That's all I do all the time. Right. I want to go back into the Matrix and not know anything about it. Yeah. And Cypher has a great moment at the end where uh, he's back on the ship when the, uh, the, the rest of the crew is in the Matrix. And he's double-crossed them so that he can kill them in the ship. And he's got he's stuck them in the Matrix. And some of them have actually died in the Matrix already. Or no, no, he kills them. He's killing them and then they're dying in the Matrix. He's pulling their he's, plugs. He's yeah. pulling the plugs, so they're dying. He gets, to, he gets to Neo. And I believe Trinity has made it back on the ship at this point, right? And No. No, she hasn't? No. She's still in the Matrix. Okay, she's still yeah. in the Matrix. So Cypher, he goes over to Neo. Neo's the next one that he's going to unplug. And he says that... If Neo is the one, then he couldn't possibly die, right? Unbelievable so there, There's got to be some sort of miracle. It's yeah. got to happen for him to be the one. And then Tank, who had already been fried already, by Cypher, yeah. somehow comes back. With a hole in his stomach. And yeah. kills Cypher. Yeah. And 
it's that moment for Trinity where she, I think she finally realizes right. that, you know what, this, he is the one and I do love him. Totally. And it's and like, it's like the Wachowskis calling their shot, right? Being like, hey, you know how something always happens to save like the, the, the main protagonist of the movie? Yeah. It's going to happen. Yeah. We're going to do it We're doing because it. this is the main guy of the movie. Right. It's happening. Yeah. So. And yeah, that exactly. That clicks in her mind. I love, I love it. I loved him this time around for the first time. Yeah. So. I would agree. Okay, well, let's move on to an- another category. Okay, let's do it. How far in are we? Okay, we're doing okay. Oh, a great follow-up to characters. Oh, really? Yeah, a great follow-up. Oh, excellent. The world. The world, okay. Do you want to start with the world, or do you want me to start with the world? You start with the world. You're, you you got some notes. Well, let's start with the Matrix. And I'm going to rely on you heavily for this one, because you're a programmer. So I think yes. you have some insight. You're going to bring some insight to this that I'm not going to bring, but I will start. The Matrix is this control, level of control mm-hmm. that has been created to keep the humans alive, basically, so that the machines can use their bodies as batteries. Yeah. Right. Because so, if we because if we go into uh, just sort of the world for a moment, there was, you know, a war and the between machines and humans and the humans decided to take out basically the the sky take out the sun i love that so that yeah because most machines are solar powered yeah so this will shut them down you know great idea yeah but the machines have found another way to get their power and that is through the human body yeah so in order to keep the bodies alive right the body and the mind have to exist together so the while the bodies are being harvested for energy they have created a simulation where the minds exist but in 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 this world you can you can achieve extraordinary things yeah. within the matrix because yeah. it is just a simulation right right so and if you can control it and kind of what i'm thinking is is they're manipulating it or reprogramming it in a way yeah and if you can do that you you can be a bit of a superhero yeah so i i could get into sort of some programming sure. of what i think sure. on that level so i might get into some um, it's going to get nerdy get into some nerdy coding stuff. So you pipe in any time just to keep the conversation lively, I'll, you know, so everyone's not falling asleep. I'll, uh, yeah. I'll cut your hard line if I need to. <laughs> Is that, does that mean something? Yeah. 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 Cut my hard line. <laughs> okay. Then there's, it'll just be you by yourself after that. <laughs> okay. Um, but like for a computer program, um, if you think of, if we think of the matrix, which is supposed to simulate the world, there's going to be 6 billion people in the world, right? So you don't want to code the, the you don't want to have the piece of code that's going to govern that person. You don't want to write that 6 million times, right? You want to write that so it's reusable. So you want to write certain things one time and you want to use it for every single human. So humans uh, in coding, we would call the human the class. That's kind of like the, the, the high idea of the thing. So like a couch would be a class, a lamp would be a class, a human is a class. So when you make a human, you're going to have attributes of a human that you code in, and you're going to have behaviors of a human. So how, how a human will interact with other things. So attributes are going to be like two legs, two arms, nose, eyes, you know, lungs, kidneys. It's all physical stuff. But behaviors of a human are going to be things like walk, run, jump, maybe emotions like sadness and, you know, crying and laughing, things like that. Um, so now you're going to have a piece of code called jump that every human is going to access when they want to jump. Um, But every human jumps a different height. You and me are going to jump a different height, and it's based on our height, our weight, 
and our muscle mass, probably specifically in our legs. So if I know that this program is jacked into my brain, I am, I'm the one sending the signals to the program of when to jump. These parameters, these height and weight, I'm sending my own parameters to that jump. So maybe instead of sending 5, 10, 180 pounds, I send 5, 10, 5 pounds. Interesting. Now I can jump. The calculation that's going to happen, that's going to calculate my height, my weight, my muscle mass, and gravity is going to spit out a number that is far greater than what it should be. Right. So maybe I can manipulate those parameters in order to be able to jump further. Hmm. So that's sort of my idea of how it works. That's cool. They understand that they're the ones sending the signal to right. the program. Right. So they can mess with their inputs and outputs that they're giving it. Interesting. They can mess with the inputs so they get a different output. Oh, that's very cool. These humans, when they're, well, not all the humans, but specifically like the Neo and, and Morpheus and those people on their ship, they have the ability to, um, well, they have like a training program. So they have the ability to um, plug in to a matrix of their that they've con- construction yeah. that is is separate from the actual matrix right yeah. and it's like a, it's it's where they can learn things to be better uh better skilled in the matrix yeah so, so it's like they've they've basically like copied the sort of uh overall structure of what the matrix rules are like gravity yeah. and things like that and then made their own program and tried to break them on their own right and that's that's where they quickly learn you know yeah. how to how fly to a helicopter yeah. or quickly learn how to how to fight yeah so that's pretty cool i like that that's a neat aspect i of love it. that and that's like makes perfect sense why they're all hackers because they can write these programs i think these programs are so cool yeah that they would think of making a training one why not like yeah. it's got the same attributes as the matrix would so if you can do it there you can do it in the matrix because it's the same thing even though it looks like real life yep now in the matrix it's kind of governed or policed by agents Mm -hmm. and there are only three of them but basically an agent can take over any of the minds in the matrix at any time yeah and the agents also see through everybody's eyes so if the agent is on one side of the virtual planet and someone on the other side sees Neo, they can become that person and be there. So very difficult to escape these guys. And then at the same sure. time, they're un- they're unstoppable. They're undefeatable. They can move faster than anybody else can move. So it's like it's just this nightmare of, of, an, of an enemy. Right. right. Because the same sort of thing as being able to understand that you can bend the rules of the Matrix, they are a program. They are programmed to know that they can break the rules and and bend them. So they can move so fast. They can jump so high. They are so strong. Like they are the unbeatable thing in this world. But at the same time, they are still a program. They still uh, un- have a- unable to um, progress further than their program. They still have a max yeah. to that uh, allowance that they've been allowed right. to break those rules. And it's it's up to like they're at a hundred percent. But what? What we know is that you're, if if you can do it right, you're capable of exceeding 100. percent Right. Right. Yeah. Which I guess Neo is kind of the first person to do that. Yeah. So at the same time, we have the real world where we don't have programs anymore. Well, we still have programs, but we have machines who are hunting down the humans physically. Mm-hmm. So trying to trying to find their city and destroy wipe, it. wipe them out. Yeah. Right. And then that'll be they'll keep um they'll keep harvesting the humans for energy because they're growing they're growing like babies yeah right they don't need these humans who are fighting them 
or, or the, they don't need the, the resistance out there anymore. They don't need to harvest the resistance. They just want to wipe them out so nobody's fighting them. Then they can just continue to grow. Yeah. Nobody's free. No one's trying to yeah. oppose them. They can just grow those humans in their farm and plug them in that, from birth. Done. That'll be their perfect world. Yep. Is when the resistance is done, they can just live without humans. Mm-hmm. We don't actually see very much of the real world, right? The real world in this movie is is basically their spaceship, the Nebuchadnezzar, that they're on. That's what we see, right? yeah. And they're they're just progressing through what looks like underground pipes and tunnels. Yeah, some sort of sewer system. Or, maybe a yeah. destroyed, I don't know, the destroyed city or, or something like True, that. True, it could be, yeah, yeah, it could be just the destroyed city. But their ship is very run down. It's very gritty. It's dirty. very dirty. It's minimalistic. Um, it's shitty. Basically, yeah, it it's, is shitty, not, yeah. it's a shitty place to be. Yeah. So it's very neat that there's that um, sort of distinguishing factor between the Matrix and the real world, wherein the Matrix, everything kind of looks a little bit more colorful and nice. The real world looks like rundown and gritty. But I think kind of the people in the Matrix look a little washed out, where I think they look a little bit more like people in the real world. They do the the in the Matrix. There's this beautiful green hue on everything. Yeah, I really like because all of their code is in this green hue. And when the movie starts, you get the Warner Warner Brothers. I think it's Warner Brothers and Village Roadshow logos that are all like Matrixified yeah. and and to fall to carry that through in the Matrix itself is is really neat. Yeah, yeah, and and we learn the machines are like extremely powerful and destructive yeah and morpheus morpheus says that like their perfection is it's just so impressive right there's there's no waste he says it's um he calls it the pure horrifying precision Mm. yeah yeah so and it it is very they're very precise like an example of it is when they kind of when they when they liberate neo right they they wake him up somehow they give him he takes this blue pill and wakes up in his like harvesting chamber he takes a red pill oh sorry he takes a yeah, red pill yeah. yeah my bad takes the red pill wakes up in his chamber and the rope the machine comes over sees that he's awake and just flushes him yeah into the into the sewer yeah. and that's it like that's it for that he one. would be done yeah it's like it's like the way that we would open up um something that needs a battery and just take the battery out and throw it you know throw it away totally you know, not that you should be throwing batteries away and yeah. i should be recycling them but yeah. sometimes the other one makes it into the garbage yeah. that, so, that, sometimes that sometimes yeah sometimes the odd battery makes it into okay. the garbage. <laughs> but yes, try, try not to but the odd one slips in there it is very much like that but like just, that that's first, how i pictured it we that, just, yeah that first machine that sees them is a is a machine that like for the machine world yeah and and so yeah, it flushes. Its, its purpose it's is just to yeah. flush. It's oh. to determine if the person has woken up. Yeah. And if it has, then flush it. Gone. You don't need it. Yeah. But they are able to save him from that water that he's been flushed right. into. Right. They they they're able to locate him because of the red pill. That's and, I like this part a lot, which is like I guess we can stick it into the world. Is where you're getting this big talk about how the Matrix is the wool pulled over your eyes, and it's just yeah. it's a way to like oppress you. So you take, if you take the blue pill, you're going to go back to bliss and you're not, you're just going to wake up in your bed. If you take the red pill, you know, we're going to show you what it's about. And you get this sort of Alice in Wonderland type thing, right? And they reference that. Yeah. And so I think when I'm watching it the first time, he takes the red pill and we're going to get some psychedelic, you know, yeah. cool thing going yeah. on. It's he takes the red the pill. Opposite. It's the opposite. He takes the red pill. They go into a back room where everyone's got computers yeah. and stuff. And you're like, 
what's that for? What's the red pill for? And he says, like, it messes with your input-output carrier, which is why he's seeing things all weird. Yeah. Because his input and output is getting messed up from the Matrix. Okay. So he I never quite understood that. Yeah, so the code isn't matching up for him. He's not accessing the right parts of the system because it's not getting given to him. Right. Um, And so they're able to locate his physical body because of that. It's... It's so cool. It's really, it's a really smart movie. Yeah. I think we can move on now. Yeah, that's from, good. From the world. Yeah. The hat out. Okay. Okay. Here we go. Here Tell we us go. what a great follow-up to the world would be. Oh, what a great uh, topic to just put right in the middle. Technology. Perfect. It's a great one to put right in the middle. Technology. So we already mentioned it. This movie won the Best Visual Effects Academy Award. Great. I think this is largely in part to what they did with Bullet Time. Yes. Now, what bullet time is, at a real high level, is essentially this extreme transformation of time and space. Yeah. It's basically slowing down a scene to show imperceivable and unfilmable events, such as a speeding bullet. Can I give you a quote from the script? No, thank you. Of what bullet time is? Oh, sure. Sorry. Okay. Here's from the script. Okay. Jones gun booms as we enter the liquid space of bullet time. The air sizzles with wads of lead like angry flies as Neo twists, bends, ducks, just between them. Neo bent impossibly back, one hand on the ground, as a spiraling gray ball shears open his shoulder. That's amazing. That's so descriptive. I can picture that happening. But you can picture it happening also because you've seen it. That's what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Like, imagine reading that script... And being like, yeah, and being like the guy who's in charge of the special effects. Right. And just thinking like, how do I do that? How am I supposed to do this? Yeah. Bullet. What is liquid space? Yeah. yeah. (laughs) What does that mean? That's right. You enter the liquid space of bullet time. But that description is exactly what we watched. Yeah, that was. Yeah, they nailed that. That's great. What they do to achieve this effect is they put 120 cameras side by side in a 360 degree space with the character in the middle. These cameras are set to go off, each one in sequence, a microsecond after the other. Initially, a scene is computer modeled so that they can decide where they want to actually position the physical cameras. Then the actor does his performance, his or her performance, in like a green screened area. All the cameras fire, and then they put the CG backgrounds in after that. Right. And that completes the scene. Standard film is shot in 24 frames per second. Digital film might be 60. I think the highest that anything is um, shown at right now is probably 60 frames a second, and that's video games and, and maybe digital film right. as well. But I mean, you have like 120 movies sometimes coming out now that are not received very well because okay. it looks too real, too much well, like a home one, video. 120, that might be the the megahertz rather than the frame oh, okay. rate. I, yeah. I think it's yeah. frame rate. I haven't yeah, heard I of so. 120 frame rate, but it's possible. But basically, the more frames you have, like the better it's going to look because the more information is being passed through to your eye, right? So 24 frames is normal. Um, I think it's like like what we see on TV. It's like a weird number. It's like 28 point something. But it's just the kind of the perfect rate for our eyes to decipher. And our so, eyes to sort of fill in the gaps. Like yeah. if there's any like missing... In that frame, our eyes can see it as like a fluid motion. Right. right? So if you go to 12 frames a second, it's going to look choppy. Like it's going to look wrong. And then like you said, if you go too high, sometimes it looks too real. 
Like there's, it, it there's looks not like you're looking through a window, yeah, not like at a TV screen. There's not enough blur to yeah. things, right? They're too static. But what this bullet time effect gave them was essentially the equivalent of 12,000 frames per second. Wow. They could just do whatever they wanted with these characters, right? Like you get it in the Trinity scene at the beginning. She jumps up slowly in the air and then she's just sitting there as the camera is still going around. Right. Right. Just because there's so many frames that they have that they can move the camera around while she's just appears to be frozen. She's not though. Right. They didn't freeze it there. No. They, that's just how many camera shots they got that they can actually have her. She's moving so damn slow that it looks like she's not moving. Right. So cool. It's so cool. And something that, uh, was mentioned on a podcast that I listened to. Uh, it's called Podcast, like it's 1999, where they cover things from 1999. Um, I'm a little bit obsessed with the year 1999. I don't know if you've noticed. I'm starting to <laughs> notice. But uh, one of the hosts on that podcast mentions that it's so cool because this isn't new technology that it's not something that wasn't available. Like, it's not something that like, oh, technology finally caught up to what they wanted to do. It's just they figured out how to use the technology to do what they wanted. We could have been doing this in movies before that. It's just a bunch of cameras set up around. Yep. Like, it's an analog thing. It's not like, like, there's digital aspects to it that needed to be there in order to shoot those scenes. But the the idea of setting the cameras up around in circles and just doing a lot, like setting up a bunch of cameras... Um, was something that was there for us to figure out. And they did it. They figured it out. Yeah, it was done before. It was the first application of bullet time was in a movie from 1962 called, it's got a weird name, it's called Zots. Right. And uh, in that movie, um, a film professor uses a magical amulet to slow down a speeding bullet. Perfect. So I bet that looked really cool in 62. Definitely. You know, the idea of of this goes even further back. It goes back to the 1900s where people would set up multiple cameras just to take a picture of like a horse running so that they could follow how the gallop looked. That's the idea behind bullet time is that you want to capture these individual frames to make, to comprise a larger whole. Right. Yeah. Great. The, the special effects in general in this movie are cutting edge off the chart. Like when that helicopter smashes into the building and the yeah. building looks like it's like liquefied and bends and bows before the glass explodes. Yeah. It's like, holy shit. It looks amazing. It looks amazing. Even now, I'm watching it now, oh, yeah. and it looks... This movie looks amazing. This was 20 years ago. Totally. You could pass it off as a movie that just came out yesterday. Yeah, it looks unbelievable. So, that's all I got for technology. All right, we're doing a good job. I feel like one of them in here is going to be pretty long. Actually, they're probably both going to be pretty long. They're probably... One of them for sure. Yeah, they're probably both going to be long. A great fourth one to pull. Really? philosophy okay philosophy it couldn't have landed any better we can leave story for last yeah that's great that's how you should do Usually, it yeah, that's how you that's how you talk do about podcasts. the story very at the very you end leave the story yeah. for last so people can follow what's happening right as we're ending well i'm sure everybody's seen this movie though that's why i think that's why we're doing it this way a little bit different everyone's seen the movie and even though it's like it is a complicated story that if you just watched once maybe you wouldn't understand it's actually it is a straightforward story. Like it is. It's something that if you just if you just watch from sort of beginning to end, you can get what's going on. And in you the do world. And you, you do. do. And it's 
there's just a number of things going on sort of underneath the surface that are very interesting to talk about. That's right. Which I think we're going to get to in this section. That's right. Because I remember when I watched it the first time, I didn't pick up on any of the philosophy. I didn't study philosophy in school. This was just a straightforward sci-fi adventure movie for me. And then it was, you know, years later when it came out, like how philosophical and how deep this movie actually was that I started thinking like, oh, wow, I didn't really know that. Yeah. But that's what we're going to get into a bit right now. So this movie does have a lot of philosophical and religious undertones. I just want to talk about a few philosophers who influenced what the Wachowskis did here. At first, I thought, wow, they came up with all this new philosophy themselves, but they, they're just reusing ideas, which is 100% fine because all ideas are being reused. What they did was that they pulled a bunch of different ideas together and molded it so tightly within this film that contained so many other aspects. Any of these aspects individually could be a great movie, your, your sci-fi movie, your action movie, your love story, your philosophical story. But to tightly knit it all together in two hours and 15 minutes, that's what's super impressive for them. For sure. And it's it's not that they, you know, just did it with ideas. They also did it with visuals. Like they're yeah. really into anime. They're really into kung fu. A lot of the things that they did in these scenes, you can see in older movies. You can see in animes. Yeah. Like they did that exact thing. But like you said, they pulled it all together into one vision. Yeah. They pulled all their favorite things together and all the things they were into. And they're like cyberpunk novels that they're into and their philosophy textbooks. Everything that they were into, they pulled together to one movie. It's yeah. amazing. Yeah. So 380 BC. It's a long time ago. It is. Greece. Plato. Okay. Good guy. Yeah. Plato puts forward a theory about human perception and how knowledge gained through the senses is only opinion. Okay. And that real knowledge must be gained through philosophy and reasoning. Okay. So he writes this story called mm -hmm. Allegory of the Cave. Mm -hmm. There's three parts to this. Okay. So the first part is called Imprisonment in the Cave. Now, the idea is, let's say there's prisoners in a cave and there's a fire behind them, but they can't see it. They're looking forward at a wall and there's people behind them with objects. And as they walk in front of the fire shadows are cast on the wall that the prisoners are looking at. So all that, all that you're seeing are these shadows on a wall. That's your reality. That's all you know. Okay. You don't know what the object looks like. You just know the shadow. All you know is that yeah. your world consists of that being chained, yeah. looking at a wall and seeing shadows. So part two is called departure from the cave. Now, if you were to free a prisoner from their shackles, they would turn around and see the fire. Now, having not seen fire before, the light is going to be so bright that they're going to turn back in pain and turn to what they're familiar to, which is the darkness. So if you were to actually then physically drag one of them out of the cave, because they wouldn't want to go, but if you drag them out and they see the sunlight, their eyes are going to hurt even more, but their eyes would slowly adjust to the point where they could start to look at the surroundings, look at the world, and eventually look at the sun and then understand what everything is. Right. Understand where it all comes from. Yeah. So naturally, the third part is return to the cave. So if, if mm. you were freed, you would naturally want to go and tell everybody else about what you saw. Right? Like, guys, there's a world out there. You're living in a fucking cave, man. Right. Come on out. They would return. But now having their eyes adjusted, 
they're going to come into the dark cave, be unable to see. Ah. The prisoners in there are going to perceive that whatever happened to this person who left was damaging because they're now blinded. Interesting. And they're going to resist leaving. Interesting. They're going to stick with what they're familiar with. So this is essentially the idea of the matrix, right? Yeah. This is, you have the humans living a perceived life. They can only see reality when they're freed from it, but they can only perceive it when they're, when they see it with their own eyes. Like Morpheus says, it's not something, um, we can show, we can tell you, you have to see it. Yeah. And you can't really explain it in that moment. You have to be able to unplug them and then tell them. Yeah. You have to see it yourself. So even when Neo is freed, do you remember when he, he's freed, the first thing he tries to do is open his eyes. Everything's too bright. He says, why do my eyes hurt? Yeah. Morpheus says, because you've never, never used, used them. them, right? So he has yeah. to close his eyes. Yeah. So just like, yeah, just like the allegory the, of the cave, the departure from the cave. Yeah. So I want to move through some centuries here. Okay. So 1600s, France, Rene Descartes, he's a famous philosopher who said, uh, I think, therefore I am. So at one point, this was kind of early on, I think, in his philosophy, but at one point, he imagined that there was an evil demon of the utmost power and cunning who had employed all of his energies in order to deceive Descartes. Okay. And and to have a, like a fake reality. Okay. And he also studied dualism, which is the connection of the body and mind and how they interact. Okay. And he viewed the mind and body as two separate things. Now, he argued that the mind could exist without the body, but the body could not exist without the mind, which mm. is another theme in the Matrix, mm-hmm. right? And we've, we've touched on that already. Yeah. Something that uh, Morpheus actually says. Yeah. That's right. 1700s, Germany, Immanuel Kant. Uh, He says, is appearance any reasonable reflection of reality? It's like, is what you see kind of what you get? Right. He comes up with like, does my idea of yellow match with your idea of yellow? Totally. There's no way for us to share this information, right? I'd have to see through your eyes to know if your yellow is the same as my yellow. Right. And if I call something yellow, that's yellow to me. Right. It right. doesn't mean it's yellow to you. Right. If You're... I only know five colors and I call something blue and you know it's purple, I just maybe I don't know purple. Right. So it's blue to me. Yeah. But it's, and it's purple to you. Yeah. And you, it's your reality. Right? Yeah. That's, it's your it's, it's my reality is that that is blue. But what's real? Yeah. Um, and he also uh, had some ideas about how the mind itself has structure. So therefore, our realities are going to have to be perceived or created um, as structures as well. So it's almost like he was saying, we can't really get freed beyond the capabilities of our mind. Okay. Like our, our yeah. mind has pathways and connections. Therefore, our reality is going to be created with pathways and connections. And okay. we can't expand that type of thinking. Yeah. Right. Well, I think that's a, a good place to take a quick break. Time for break. Feel free to jump in anytime too. I'm just gonna okay. I'm gonna blast sure. through some of these though. 1800s Germany, uh, Friedrich Nietzsche. He says we are at our best when we are not conscious. In his philosophies, there is a Superman okay. who overcomes. Oh, interesting. And he says there's a simple world of people who are locked in their constructs. They're born into a system of evaluation in which one thing is good, another thing is bad. You must do this. You must do that. 
But what defines the Superman is that he rejects all those constructs mm. and he sees through them and decides to do what he wants to do. Okay. He's all the this, one. All this is in the movie. Yeah. It's all in there. Yeah. It's every one of these that you go through. 1900s, France, Jean Baudrillard. Okay. He wrote a book called Simulacra and Simulation. Ah, uh, yes. Where the world in some way or another is a construction of what's going on in the mind. So right. we're, we're projecting our existence from and, our mind. And this is the book that they had to read. This is the book the this actors is one had of them. to read. Yeah. And th- this book is actually in the movie. Yeah, it's right. Neo is hiding his contraband in yeah. it. So that's uh, that's all very interesting. And then one more uh, is 1900s. Okay. Uh, USA, Robert Nozick. So he imagines this thing called the experience machine, which he says, if there is this perfect simulation machine... You could plug yourself in. It would give you any experience you desire, no strings attached. You would plug in and not even know you're plugged in. He thinks most people would not plug in because we we don't just want to be happy and have pleasure. We care about living like a real and truthful life. Right. So he's he's taking these ideas and kind of moving them a little bit further, but in a different way. Definitely. It's like people... If you were in the Matrix or you knew about the Matrix, you'd most likely reject it because it, you'd see it as a prison, right? Because you're not going to be able to get your full experience. If you experience knew about life, it, right? if you knew about it ahead of time, yeah, you'd see it as you won't be able to make all, maybe all the choices you want to make. Yeah. Right? So if all the people in the Matrix kind of woke up, yeah. they would probably feel like they're, you know, they're they're imprisoned. Right. Yeah. And, and, and reject, right? Yeah. Like revolt. Yeah. So. Interesting. So to touch on religion a little bit as well, Neo, I mean, he clearly parallels the, the Jesus of Nazareth story here. For sure. Right. He's referred to as the one uh, savior. He he dies and he is resurrected. Yeah. He, he performs uh, miracles. In like his first opening scene when he uh, gives the contraband to uh, uh, the guy that shows up at doorstep, he says, you're my own personal Jesus Christ. Yeah. Like right away, they're calling, calling it out. Yeah. So very heavy, heavy themes there. But um, Francis Flannery Daly, who's an assistant professor of religion at Hendricks College. This is her quote. She says, it wasn't just traditional Christianity, but it was Gnostic Christianity. And Gnosticism frames the fundamental human problem in terms of ignorance, the solution being enlightenment, whereas traditional Christianity faces the problem in terms of sin and repentance. Oh, okay. Now, Gnosticism would hold that the fundamental human problem is that we are diamonds in the mud. We are a soul or a spirit trapped in a material body, and we need to get out because we are divine sparks, and we need to get out. So that that does fit the movie a bit better, this this idea of Gnostic Christianity. Right. That's very interesting because there is no of this uh, sin and repentance no. type thing in there. There's yeah. nothing of that. It, so. is, it is all about yeah. like what she says with uh, enlightenment. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, I want to actually take some of those uh, some of those philosophy points and kind of point out where they are in the movie. Yeah, go ahead. Um, so I want to go back to sort of Descartes uh, saying who who you said is uh, sort of saying like our senses can possibly mislead us because yeah. our truth is just what we think we perceive. That's our truth. So if some, how are we to know that some demon isn't just sending signals into our head to mess with what we perceive? Yeah, which is what they talk about, like when Morpheus is talking to Neo and saying, how do you define real? And he says, if it's just electrical signals into your brain, then it could be someone messing with your brain. Yeah. And that just seems like real to you. And so Descartes' example of this is dreams, where 
you can feel real emotions in a dream, but it's not real. Right. And the way this movie starts, Neo wakes up from a dream three times before he his actual awakening out of the Matrix. And every time he awakes from a dream, it's always part of that scene, and then it cuts to him waking up. Right. And then part of that scene, and then it cuts to him waking up. If you watch this for the first time, you could think that that first time he waked up, everything before that was a dream. Yeah. Then the second time he wakes up, oh, everything before that was a dream, a dream within a dream. Yeah. Then the next time he wakes up, everything before that, which is what Descartes was talking about. If you, if it's a dream within a dream, what if you wake up and you think you're in your bed? It's just because you know what your bed looks like and feels like, and you're fooling yourself that you're, you're not actually in reality, but you don't know it in that moment. Um, so I think that's really interesting that they, they played with that waking up at the beginning. Yeah, that is interesting. Whereas I watch the movie now, I mean, I've seen the movie 50 times. I watch the movie now and think, oh, like all those things happened. Yeah. We're just cutting to him waking up. Yeah, that's how I watch it. But yeah. the first time you might think, was all that even real? Because he just woke up. Right. Um, yeah. So I think that that's, that's a great way to open it up with the waking up, the waking up, the waking up. But here's what really waking up is. Getting you out of this oppressive matrix. Yeah. Uh. Yeah, there's also, we haven't really talked about um, the Oracle at all, which I, I think we can talk about in this sort of whole philosophy thing, because uh, when Neo goes to visit the Oracle, um, she has Know Thyself written in her kitchen there. And Know Thyself was something that was inscribed in the Temple of Apollo, uh, which a uh, which was like known as the center of the world back, back in that time. And someone known as the Oracle resided there hmm. and you'd go to the Oracle and they'd tell you about life. And Socrates went to this temple and he said, I know nothing. And the Oracle said, you're the smartest man in the world oh, yeah. because you know nothing, right? You know yourself, you know that you don't know. Hmm. So it, it's sort of when they, when they rank like the smartest people, the top is knowing certain things about your, um, about your profession or whatever, your, your expertise, knowing certain things about it, but also knowing what you don't know. Right. Is the top of like being intelligent. Sure. It's self-awareness, right? Yeah. So it's belief in yourself, which in this movie, Neo has belief in himself. He knows himself. He comes in and the Oracle says, do you think you're the one? And he says, I don't know. Just like Socrates came in and said, I don't know anything. Yeah. He doesn't know if he's the one, but he believes in his skills. Right. Like we talked about. Um, Whereas, like, the sort of villain of... Uh, one of the villains of the movie, Cypher, doesn't believe in himself. Right? He doesn't He doesn't really know. He wants to be thrown back into the Matrix and his mind to be wiped. If your memory's wiped, are you really yourself anymore? Does any of, like, any of that past experience even matter anymore? He just wants to be thrown in, you know, his thing, ignorance is bliss. Um, yeah, so it's interesting that those two are on the kind of opposite ends. Yeah. Cool. Okay, well... There's one more thing in the hat. Okay, sounds good. What's it going to be? Story. What a surprise. Big twist. Okay, story. It's a great story. It's, it's so great. Did I mention that? And kind of all the things we have said will funnel into it. We, we've talked about it. There's so many of these key movie um, elements that make movies great all in here. Mm -hmm. You've got overcoming self-doubt you've got uh the father figure motif you've got a love story you've got a traitor you've got a, a protagonist with unparalleled power 
You've got action. You've got weird, fascinating ideas about human life and existence. You've got cutting edge technology and it's all packed together in a two hour movie and there's no holes. It's amazing. It's so tight. It's super tight. If you come on, if you came out of that theater and you were asked, what is the matrix about? You wouldn't be able to answer because it's all those things. You when you come out of the of theater, you're not talking. You're doing like kung fu kicks and you're jumping around. At least I was. Definitely. I felt like a, I felt like like a 10-year-old coming out of that movie after watching Ninja Turtles or something. Right, I had right. so much energy. So, oh, so amped. Actually, I will. that'll lead me into right now how I saw the movie. So I was 13 when I saw the movie. Uh-oh. And Did you sneak in? Well, here's... Well, I guess it was out of theaters. The here's the story. Yeah. So I actually had no idea what it was because the summer of 1999 is... Uh, I was I was 12 years old in the summer. Um, I had sort of turned 13 in the summer. So it's the end of like, well, I don't know, grade seven. When I was like 11, I was terrified of movies. When I hit 12, something happened and I wasn't scared anymore and I could watch anything. Hmm. And that's when I really was like, okay, movies, like I'm into movies now. So the summer of 99 was huge. Like I went to... Phantom Menace like four times. Not that that's a scary movie, but I went to Phantom Menace four times. Like The Mummy, Mystery Men, Austin Powers, Big Daddy, Deep Blue Sea. I think I don't think I got to Deep Blue Sea because it's rated R. But you know, I love I love those big sharks. You didn't miss anything in that movie. <laughs> um, but I didn't even know what the Matrix was. You know, I I came back to school for grade eight, never heard of it. Well, Dean, no one can be told what the Matrix is. You <laughs> right. have to see exactly. it for yourself. Exactly. But a friend at school told me. You got to see the Matrix. You don't know what the Matrix is. You got to see the Matrix. Yeah. So I couldn't rent it because I was 13 years old. So here's the loophole. You can buy it at Walmart because they don't check the, they don't check how old you are and they don't check the ratings on the back of their videos. So I'd go to Walmart with mom, with my backpack, she'd shop. I'd go look in the electronic section, bought the Matrix, put in my backpack and would watch it every single day. Really? Absolutely love The Matrix when I was 13. I saw it so many times. So many times when I was 13. I could like I could like tell you the choreographed fight scenes. Like I could yeah. say what the next move was going to be. Yeah. So into it. Um Yeah, so like at that time I definitely didn't have any idea of even what was going on in the movie. I just knew it was cool action. It was just an like, action movie. When I'm 13, that time. I didn't know anything. I, yeah. I almost probably couldn't even tell you the story. Right. Like it's just cool action. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So we, we've already mentioned how the movie comes out of the gate swinging with the Trinity scene. Um, basically, what we got here is we've got Morpheus looking for Neo because Neo's the one, right? He Yeah, he's been told by the Oracle that he's going to find the one. And he's convinced that this guy that he's been watching, Neo, is the one. And why I think Lawrence Fishburne is so perfect in this part is because... He so much believes that Neo is the one. So you want to believe him. But also when someone tell when the Oracle tells Neo that he's not the one, you kind of have to feel pity on Morpheus. You have yeah. to have this character where you're like, oh, he felt so much like it. Yeah. Because Morpheus, that was his his prophecy, right? Yeah. Is that he's the one. He is the one who's going to find the one who will bring balance to the force. Yeah, right? exactly. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. So when he. When the Oracle tells Neo he's not the one, and then Neo shares that with Morpheus. Now, I like this because Morpheus, he's not upset. He says, she told you what you needed to hear. Now, right. this I caught this again on this watch. I don't think the Oracle is pulling his leg at that time. I think when Neo comes to meet the Oracle, 
he is not the one because he's not ready. He becomes the one, right? She could have said, you will become the one, but she doesn't. She says, you are not the one. I believe, meaning in that moment, he is not yet the one. He still has, he has self-improvements and self-realizations to make before he becomes the one. But the way she forms it is in that way. Everything she says is 100% true. You know what she says? She says, you've got the gift, but you're waiting for something. And he says, what? And she says, I don't know, maybe the next life. Right. He dies in the movie. Right. And he's the one when he comes back in his next life. Right. Yeah. Right. That's like cool. Everything, I didn't pick up on that. Everything she says is 100% true, especially when she says, one of you is going to die. You or Morpheus is going to die. He dies. I've sort of thought about this dying and coming back a lot and how he could be able to do that. And I kind of bring myself back to him being a hacker and kind of death being the ultimate behavior that a piece of code that he that he has to obey. Mm -hmm. So he gets shot and he goes into the death piece of code. But him, as Trinity's talking to him in his chair, he is able to realize that his body is somewhere else. And he's able to right. wake himself back up in the Matrix and completely override like sort of the ultimate yeah. behavior. And once he does that, he's completely free. His mind is completely free and he can do anything. So here's <clears throat> here's something for you. So, I mean, it sounds like we're going to jump around the story here, which is fine. I just went right to we're the already end. at the end. <laughs> I just went right to the end. We can go back to the beginning, but I just went right to the end. Right I, I thought you were going to stop me, really. I was like, no, he's going to stop me it's somewhere. It's good. I got, you were going too fast. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I do have something interesting since we're at the end that I want to say about the end. And that is, so Neo... Ultimately, after a great like chase scene with the with the agents, gets shot and killed in the Matrix, and then back on the ship, Trinity's whispering in his ear about her story about how she she's supposed to find the one and she's going to fall in love with him, and that brings him back. Mm -hmm. I have a question for you: mm -hmm. Does the Matrix not know what to do with love? Whoa! Just this, like annihilation. Are we going back to annihilation here. Just like annihilation. Does the it code in the matrix not love. know what to do with love? It doesn't know how to analyze it or interpret it. I don't know. It's interesting. I don't it's know an either. Interesting it's... How would a machine know? Because the how oracle you... also says, "Being the one is like being in love." Yeah. You don't. You can't say you're in love. You can't just. You just feel it. You yeah. just know it, which is something a machine. Shouldn't be able to do. Yeah. Shouldn't be able to know. Yeah, just a little throwback to our Annihilation episode. So if you I haven't like... listened to our Annihilation episode, you should go back and listen to episode three. Uh, yeah. I thought that was cool. I like it. I love it. It all comes back to it's love. It's all about love. We love on this podcast. <laughs> Very loving. Yeah, so uh, we just jump right to the end of the story, but we could, we could sort of go anywhere in it. I think there's a lot of things in here that are really interesting. Okay, I want to talk about... <laughs> I like when... Uh... Neo and Morpheus fight. They do the training simulation. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> they, uh, whoever the operator is, I think it's, I think it's uh, Tank, Tank is, yeah. is uh, running the operations. And so these, I think Morpheus is like, load the training program. And then we cut to, I think it's Mouse running into the, like the kitchen area. Yeah. And he's like, Morpheus is fighting Neo. And everybody just like lightning bolts. They just yeah. shoot up and they run. And right. I thought that was so funny. It's like they've, the first, all, they've all been waiting for it. Yeah, right? it's the first thing that he's going to do. It's the first thing that like the one is going to do. Yeah. Like these training programs are interesting because it's like 
the characters are becoming AI in the in that moment when they go into the matrix. They're self-aware programs. Mm -hmm. Like they're they become AI. Like they become like the enemy in a way, right? That's that's the thing. Um, like if I relate it back to the coding, they are a program. There is like a program written for human behavior of what they're allowed to do. It's just that they're actually jacked into it, which is weird, right? It's usually like someone controlling the programmer controls everything that happens. But it's this it's this fascinating idea that what if you plugged in something that can think into your code right. and let him kind of do what he does. Yeah. There's still those rules there, but yeah, they are a program. They are a software program in that time, but they have control over it. Well, story was a bit of a weird one to have at the end because I feel like we, <laughs> we, touched, about, we touched on the story through all the everything. other sections. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm good there unless there's anything you want to say about it. Uh, about the story? No. I'm kind of good with the story. I'm good with the story. Since we have a little, a couple minutes, I want to pop back to characters okay. for one moment because I don't ahead. think we talked about Morpheus. Like, not Yeah, we just touched on it. Yeah. glazed over And him. I wanted to read something. Yeah, sure. Read something from this book I brought along. Um, and this is, uh, this is when the, uh, the, the Wachowskis met with, uh, Lawrence Fishburne. Okay. Uh, for the role of Morpheus. And. Excellent. Okay. Break. Okay. <laughs> I did not have the right page. Okay. okay. It's, uh, okay. Okay. So the Wachowskis meet with Lawrence Fishburne in Las Vegas at the uh, Tyson-Holyfield fight when Tyson bites his ear off. Okay. They meet there to talk about the movie. And uh, Lana says, I had a dream about a man who wore mere sunglasses and spoken riddles. When I met you and I heard your voice, I knew you were that guy. Wow. <laughs> Amazing, cool. right? Cool. It's just like this thing she pulls out of her dream. Yeah. That's neat. And here's it. And it is. It is him, right? He's like perfect. He is the man who speaks in riddles and has mirrored sunglasses. Yeah. Very cool. Thanks for that. Yeah. Okay, let's get to what if. So, this was actually tough. I went through, if you want to look at my sheet, I've got one, two, three. Oh, yes. I've got four what ifs crossed, crossed off. Crossed out, yeah. And the, the final what if written in in pen. So, I really struggled with this So, it one. just happened. You just read, wrote it in. It happened uh, fairly recently, but like the what ifs that I was coming up with, they didn't really work because... It was like, what if this happened differently in the movie or what if this happened differently? But in a movie like this, that's so tightly put together, the answer would just be, oh, well, I wouldn't have liked it as much, right? The movie wouldn't have been as good because it's so great already. Right. right. So whether it's a good what if question, it'd be a bad conversation. Right. Yeah. So I think I ended up landing on something that we might be able to actually think about a little bit. So I'm Perfect. trying to touch maybe a little bit more on the philosophy side. Great. So... What if the real world in the matrix is also a simulation? It's another level of control. It's built to provide another level for the humans to feel like they have 
purpose, but it's just another layer for them to control the humans. So you're double layer of simulation. Double layer. So the real world. So dream within a dream. Everybody's yeah, dream within a dream. Everybody's everybody's plugged in into the real world. Yeah. And also in that world plugged into the matrix. It's that waking up in your bed. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah, Neo wakes up in the pod, gets flushed, but that's a simulation. He's still in his pod. Yeah. He's still in a pod somewhere. It's neat that you touched on the dream within a dream yeah. with Neo waking up, because that's kind of the idea. So forget that you've seen the two movies that come after this. Right. Because we have to. This is just this yeah. one movie. Yeah. What what would a second movie look like if that was the case? So I think a second movie, if that's the case, looks like uh, following through with... So now that now that uh, Neo is in control of the Matrix, they carry on with whatever the plan is to take down the machines. And then eventually in that second movie, when you hit sort of the apex of that second movie, you realize that that is also a level of control that is also a simulation and nobody's broken out of this one. Right. It could be interesting. Yeah, like the first, you know, the first movie could be the the Matrix in the real world. Kind of that one layer of simulation. The second movie could be the second layer of the simulation. And then maybe in the third movie, you break out into potentially the real world or yeah. whatever. And then you would know. have to leave it on some sort of cliffhanger that you don't know if you're still in the real world. Yeah. We're, we're fed this world and we just kind of buy into it and we believe it because of what we're told, right? But that doesn't necessarily mean that that's what's real. Well, and yeah, we're watching it and we're, yeah, we're being told by Morpheus what's going on. Yeah. So then we just, you know, take it. Okay, that's good. We now understand. But yeah, how deep does that go? Like we're following all of the story that we're given, yeah. but we're not actually listening to the philosophy yeah. as we watch it, right? We're, we're just totally, going, yeah. we're going with the story. but. Everything that the philosophy tells us is that, like, what what of this, what of any you, of this is real? How could you believe that? Right? How could you believe why, that real world? Why do we? Yeah, yeah. Why do we believe that? It's already been done on one layer. Why wouldn't it be done on yeah. another? Yeah. And yeah, it's that, it's that control. Would the machines really just have one layer of right. it and no for how, safe for how powerful and precise they are? Yeah. You think that they'd have it all figured out, right? You think they'd see the possible flaw? Yeah. And we know that there have been flaws because Neo's like the it's happened before, right? They've, yeah. they've made, they say that they've made matrices before that failed because they tried to make them too perfect. Too perfect, right. And the uh, humans rejected the, the perfection because it wasn't real. Yeah. So and you think that they'd have it figured out and be like, okay, well, this might be a good way to do it. Give them these levels that we can trick them into believing, you know? Anyways. It's, it's interesting. I think they're doing a prequel now, right? I don't know if it's a prequel. They're doing another movie. Okay, I, I not, didn't know not if it's a prequel. prequel. I don't I'm, think so. I'm, I'm not sure about that, but I think, I think Keanu Reeves and uh, Carrie, Carrie Ann Carrie Ann Moss, Carrie yeah. Moss. I think I think they're, they're both signed, signed on. Up. Yeah, Lana Wachowski directing. Right. Lana and Lily have kind of split. Yeah, they have. They've gone different Creative, ways. Creatively, yeah. Um, so that should be interesting. Lana. Yeah. There's a Matrix comic book. Never read it though. Me neither. I played one of the video games. It's pretty fun. Was it Enter the Matrix? Yeah. Yeah, me too. I played that fun. as well. It was it was sort of you were being uh Niobe, right? From Oh no, that's not the, the one I played. Oh, then. that's the one I played. I played the one you were Neo. Okay. 
it was cool because you got to run around and do all the Neo stuff. You That's awesome. Bullet Time. Yeah. Bullet Time really took off in video games after that. Max Payne. Max Payne. Just, yeah, based off of it. It's a, it's a it. fun yeah. game was, mechanic. By like 2002 or something, it was parodied like 20 times in movies or something yeah. like that. Like yeah. like just three years later. Right. Um, really important technology. That yeah. Have. And it was a huge movie. Yeah. Like it was, it was such a big, it, it was an action movie that had something there to sort of make you think about it. Right. But why it really works for kind of me being 13 and you being 21 when we see it is because the philosophy is under the surface. Timeless. But it's like timeless. Yeah, it's timeless, but it's like, it's not, that's not your it's face. It's not in your face. Yeah. Which the next movies throw it in your face. Right. Which I love, but some people didn't. Oh, I love them too. Yeah. If you're just looking for an action movie, if you're 13 years old and you're just looking for an action movie and then you go at 19 or whenever the next one comes out. Yeah. You might not be ready for what they're throwing at you. Right. All right. Well, thanks, Dean. No problem. Great. That was fun. We'll, uh, we'll see you next week and thanks for listening and we'll see all of, well, we won't see all of you next week, but hopefully you hear from us. That's it for another episode. Thanks to everyone for listening. If you'd like to drop us a line, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter as TalkBackPod, or by email at TalkBackPod at gmail.com. Also, please leave us a review on iTunes. Those reviews will help more people find Talking Back. All right, that's it. We're done.